But I believe, I believe if God will get in this, it'll help somebody. You there, John 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five Barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come to the world. Lord, help us tonight as we try our best to extract some truth from this very familiar story. Use it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I know we have heard this story preached many, many times. I know I have preached from these verses a number of times. You can take so many different Verses and so many different little statements and phrases in this story of the feeding of the 5,000 and build an entire message and come at this thing from so many different angles. But a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege to preach a missions conference for Brother Chad Watson down in Hartsville, South Carolina. And uh, believe it or not, when I was riding down the road on my motorcycle, I took my motorcycle down there on a the trailer so I could ride on some back roads without everybody Right, run, trying to run over me. We were just riding the back roads and this passage of scripture hit me. I mean, hit me like a ton of bricks and there was a couple of things that got my attention as I was meditating. I preached the other day on meditating, all right? Just thinking about the word of God all the time. It's amazing what God will bring to your remembrance. I got back to uh, the room, the motel, and I dove into this chapter and I said, I'm gonna read it like it's the first time I've ever read it. And it's amazing the stuff you see when you just remove all your preconceived ideas about a passage of scripture, things that jump off the page at you. God showed me some things that I wanna give you tonight. I'm gonna try to be brief, but I want you to listen carefully. Now, some of you is gonna be curious to know what the title of the message is, but you're gonna have to wait till it's over to find out. I'll give it to you at the end. Uh, but this story in chapter number six, he is um, found in all four gospels. It's found in all four gospels, Matthew 14, Mark chapter six, Luke chapter nine, and here in John chapter number six. It's, it's amazing when you start cross-referencing the same story, the same thing. Uh, but, but I wanna say this, this story really is very simple. And even though we've heard this story preached, I've probably heard it preached a hundred times. Uh, you may have heard it preached many times. I saw some things in here that really God used uh, to help me and it helped our, the church there. I'm preaching a little different than I preached to Brother Watson and I didn't even plan on preaching it again. 
In fact, I had my wife, I said, dig around on top of my chest of drawers this afternoon. I sent her a text message. I said, there's a handwritten outline laid up there. See if you can find it, take a picture of it and text it to me. And I wasn't even sure I was going to preach it, but I couldn't get away from the truth that I want to share with you tonight. There are several things that I want to point out about this story uh, that I believe we could just, if we want to just outline this thing, we could start with this. Number one, we see a hungry people, a hungry people. This whole story took place because there was a group of people in here that were hungry. In three of the four gospels, in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke account, we actually find the exact same phrase in all three of them, and that was Jesus looked at his disciples and said, give ye them to eat. That, that was the phrase really that I just, I mean, give ye them to eat. You could preach, you could, you could, you could make a missions conference theme on that statement right there. Give ye them to eat. Man, there's about a month's worth of preaching in that right there. And listen to me, God has been good to us and he has blessed us so that we are able to give to them that eat. But I want, if I can, just kind of focus for a few minutes on the hungry people. The obvious problem in this story was that there was a group of people that were hungry. Now, everybody in here can relate to being hungry. I doubt many of us have been as hungry, maybe as some people in some third world countries that don't eat regularly, as Americans eat two, three, four, five times a day. Can I get a witness? A lot of people around the world are doing good if they get one good meal a day. But I think when we talk about being hungry, that's something that you and I can understand in our mind. But can I, can I make an application? Jesus looked out in verse number five. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, everybody else that was there, all they saw was people. They just saw crowds. They saw men, they saw women, they saw children. The Bible tells us in verse number 10 that there was the men, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And you and I have heard that, that brought out that that's the men. If there were 5,000 men, there's probably a pretty good chance there were several thousand women, maybe a few thousand children thrown in there, all right? And so we're looking at anywhere from five to 10 to 15, maybe 20,000 people on the side of this hill. When, when, when the disciples saw these people, all they saw was people. They just saw all these, these faces. They, saw, uh, they, they just saw a collective group of people, a great company of people. But when Jesus saw them, he saw past the front. He saw past their face. He saw past their body. He saw past the numbers. And you know what he saw? He saw down deep inside the needs that those people had. Can I tell you something tonight? If we're not careful, we'll just see people. We'll ride through the parade on, uh, like we did on Tuesday. And I was walking with the, in front of the, uh, in front of the uh, float and I was talking to one of our men and I told him, I said, every year that I come on this parade, I said, I see the desperate need of God in this place. These people lying in the streets of Dundalk are in desperate need of God. They're in desperate need of a church and they're in desperate need of a church that knows how to get a hold of God. And and they're in desperate need of a church that has a burden for people. I said the spiritual needs of our city every year on the 4th of July, God just brings that to the forefront of my mind. If you're not careful, you'll just kind of, it'll just kind of become a blur. It'll just be, it'll just be faces. It'll just be bodies. But Jesus, when he saw those people, you know what he saw? He saw hungry people. He saw people that were hungry. They were hungry for life. 
They were hungry for life. See, the Bible tells us that people that are not saved are dead in trespasses and sin, and they're hungry for something to live for. Spencer made the statement to me. He shared it with some of the other people, and we were talking as we drove home from the parade, dropped off the, the, the trailer, and we were driving home, and Spencer made the statement to me. He said, every one of those young people lying in the street were miserable. They looked miserable. And what in the heat? It wasn't the sun. It wasn't sitting on the curb for an hour and a half. It had them miserable. It was the life of sin that they're living and it was the choices they've made and you could see it on their faces. They were absolutely starving for a life. Hungry people, hungry for life, hungry for liberty. I saw every t-shirt talked about freedom and liberty in America and I thought to myself, how ironic for people to be celebrating freedom in bondage. Slaves, absolutely bound and wrapped up in every kind of an addiction and every kind of vice and every kind of sin imaginable. Jesus saw those people. He saw hungry people, hungry for life, hungry for liberty, hungry for love, hungry for love. They don't know the love that God has shed abroad because nobody's told them. They've never experienced it. Our brother going to the Solomon Islands, he said 340 something, I think you said, islands that are inhabited in the Solomon Islands. And there's people, you can believe this, there are hundreds of people on those islands, thousands of people on those islands that have never experienced the blessings that you and I have of the love of God. Hungry people, hungry for life, liberty, hungry for love, hungry for listening ears. The money people are spending to go lay down on the couch and talk to somebody and let them listen to all their problems when you and I have the God of heaven that we can talk to at any given time and we can enter into the throne room of grace and we can bring him our burdens and our needs and we can find mercy and grace to help in time of need. The world is hungry for somebody that will listen to them, that can do something to help them. Jesus saw those people and he saw a hungry people. Secondly, we see in the story a humble provision a couple of aspects about this story that I don't think I had really noticed before in all the times that I've read it and preached from it. Two things I notice about the humble provision. Number one, don't you notice the giver was unknown. In verse number nine, the Bible says there is a lad here. Is that what your Bible says? Well, this is a big deal. This is a big deal to me, and I'm going to tell you why. In a world where people are so narcissistic that they demand recognition for their donations and everything that they're, every contribution and everything that they do, I want you to understand something. Not one of the four gospels tells us his name. Number one. Number two, this is the only one of the four gospels that even tells us that it was a lad. Now stay with me. In the Matthew account, and in the Mark account and in the Luke account, it doesn't even mention where it came from, the five loaves and two fishes. I'm going to read it to you. I'm talking about the giver was unknown. In Matthew 14, in the account, Jesus said to them, yeah, they, they, they need not depart, give you them to eat. And they said unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them hither to me. It don't even mention the boy giving it. In the Mark 6 account, verse 38, he said to them, how many loaves have ye? And they say, uh, go and see. And when they knew, they said, five and two fishes. They don't even mention the boy. 
It doesn't even acknowledge the boy, his existence or his giving or his contribution. In Luke chapter number nine, verse number 13, Jesus said unto them, give ye them to eat. And they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we go and buy meat for all these people. And this is the only one of the four accounts that even tells us where the five loaves and two fishes come from. And it doesn't even tell us his name. That bothered me a little bit. And I'm gonna tell you why it bothered me. Because we like recognition when we give. On the ends of all these pews are these little gold plates that's got names of the people that help buy them. You know what I found out? I think God didn't tell us. Because it doesn't matter who you are how old you are, how big you are, or where you're from, the principles in this story right here will apply to you. I believe that with all my heart. You don't have to fit any prescribed criteria to experience what we're getting here tonight, what we're talking about. The one doing the giving is not the main part of the story. Y'all with me? We like to make ourselves that it's about us. It ain't about us. We see the, the, the giver was unknown. But then secondly, we see the gift was unsolicited. I don't think I'd ever noticed this before. But nowhere in these four gospels do we have any record where Jesus ever asked anybody to give anything. Now just think about this a minute. This boy saw the need. He, he saw these people. He heard Jesus say, give them uh, bread to eat. He said in verse five, when shall we buy bread uh, that these may eat? Jesus didn't look at this boy or anybody for that matter and say, you need to cough up what you got. We got a need here. We do not find anywhere where Jesus ever asked anybody to give anything. And yet this boy, he saw the need and out of the heart of compassion, he offered what he had to the Lord. I stood out to me because today it seems that God has to beg people. People have to be begged and coerced and bribed to do any of the smallest things many times for the Lord. But this boy gave and wasn't even told to or asked to. I believe this boy had a heart for giving that far exceeds most of us. Is everybody still with me? And I thought about this. The Bible's very clear. Five barley. We're talking about a humble provision. Five barley. Barley was the cheapest material you could get your hands on to cook with. It wasn't corn, wasn't wheat, it was barley. I mean, it was the cheapest. And the Bible is very clear in these verses. In verse number nine, not only was there five barley loaves, but there were two small fishes. Nobody here likes to keep a small fish when you're fishing. In fact, we have a word we use, is it a keeper? We throw them back if they're small. Huh? And Zane, he's, he's awesome. He'll say, hey, take a picture. He caught a brim about that big. But here's what he does. He'll take that thing, he'll hold it by the lip, and he'll shove it way up in front of your camera where it looks that big. <laughs> he learned that trick. He'll say, are you ready? And he'll stick it right up in front of your camera, and all you see is the top of his head and his kneecaps. That fish looks that big, but it's really only that big. This was a very humble provision. 
I, I thought about preaching a little while on this, but I'm not going to take the time. But the emphasis is not placed on the one doing the giving, and the emphasis is not placed on what was given. Because it occurred to me that whatever he had given, God would have took it and God would have used it. If he'd have had, if he'd have had five wheat crackers and, and a stewed rabbit, God, would have, God could have used that. The emphasis is not on who's doing the giving and the emphasis is not placed on what was given. But don't you notice number three, we see in here a human perspective. A human perspective. In verse number nine, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. Here we go. But what are they among so many. And I have heard Andrew lambasted my whole life for making that statement. But I'm going to have to be perfectly honest with y'all. If we were standing in front of 10, 15, 20,000 hungry people and a little boy walked up with a sack lunch and had five small barley loaves and two small fishes, there ain't a one of us in here that wouldn't have thought or said the exact same thing. There ain't a one of us that would have jumped up and down and got excited and said, praise the Lord, God has met the need. Praise the Lord, without even having to be asked, this little boy has sacrificially given his five loaves and two fishes. We are about to feed these people with this. Nobody in here would have done that. In fact, every year on Thanksgiving when we have our feed the community, we have to put a list out here on the bulletin board of all the stuff we need how many turkeys we need and how many boxes of dressing we need and how many pounds of potatoes we need and, and how many pumpkin pies we need. And I'll tell you, if you come here for the next 100 years, you will never see on that bulletin board a little sign that says we just need five loaves and two small fishes. That'll be all we need to feed ever. How many people shows up? Because see, that's the human perspective. And it's, it's not unrealistic. It's actually very realistic. I mean, let's just talk about it. The five loaves and two fishes was an inadequate and insufficient contribution. Can we all agree on that? I thought about this. Many of God's people are guilty of saying the same thing about the little things in their life that God wants them to give. Maybe God impresses upon your heart to just stop what you're doing and pray for somebody. I wonder how many times we've thought to ourselves, oh, what are they among so many? What good is that going to do? What good is me stopping and praying for a couple minutes for that person? What difference is that really going to make? How many times have we been impressed to hand a gospel tract to somebody? And we think to ourselves, what are they among so many? I mean, what in the world, what difference is that one tract going to make? How many times has God impressed upon your heart to witness to somebody and tell them your testimony of salvation, invite them to church, talk to them about their soul, and in your mind, you belittle your own contribution by saying, I don't even think it's big enough to even make a difference. God might lay it on your heart to give something financially. God might lay it on your heart 
to do a lot of things. And if we're not careful, maybe even a simple word of encouragement, maybe the Lord might impress upon your heart, shoot so-and-so a text message and just let them know you're praying for them. And the first thing you say in response to the moving of the Holy Spirit is what difference is that gonna make? One little text message isn't gonna matter. Little acts of obedience, little things that the Holy Spirit leads us to do. We're guilty of not doing it only to others, but we do it to our own self when God impresses upon our heart. Because see, that's the human perspective. Again, we fail to recognize it's not really who's doing the giving or what is given as much as it is that it is given. I'm going to let y'all catch up. I don't find anywhere in here where this boy ever apologized for only having five loaves and two fishes. I don't find anywhere in here where you said, boys, I know there's a lot of people here, but all I got is five loaves, two fishes. I'm sorry I couldn't give more. We don't see that. Here's what I'm afraid we're guilty of, especially when it comes to faith promise missions giving, especially we think to ourselves, well, I mean, no matter how much I give, I can't save eight billion people. So what difference does it make? And it's not who's giving are necessarily what is given. What's important is that it is being given. Imagine if every Christian just gave all they had because there was a need, they wanted to do something about it. Imagine if everybody just gave everything, I mean all of them, to God. And quit apologizing for how inadequate, insufficient we are. We know we are. There's no question. None of us in here believe we're the answer. Come on, y'all. There ain't no one of us wake up in the morning and say, but you know what? It's not who or what, it's that. Let me give you number four. We see not only a hungry people and a humble provision and a human perspective, but we see number four, a heavenly participation. You know what I like about this story? One of the most powerful statements in this story is found in verse number 11. And Jesus took the loaves. I guarantee you that little boy wondered whether or not Jesus would even take it. I mean, the disciple had just made fun of it. What are they among so many? Here's a little boy here, there's a lad here with five loaves and two fishes, but what are they? I'm I'm guaranteeing that little boy was surprised when Jesus said, hand it to me. Give it here. And Jesus took the loaves. Can I tell you something tonight? If you'll give it to him, he'll take it. Now, if that ever sinks in, your life will be changed. And I ain't preaching about giving. And I'm not talking about giving money. I'm not talking about giving barley loaves. I'm not talking about giving fish. I'm talking about giving God everything. Devil will say, God don't want what you got. God ain't gonna take what you've got. God ain't gonna take you. Hey, the Bible says he took it. He took it. I can tell you on the authority of the word of God tonight, he will give you, he will take what you give him if you'll give it to him. 
Man, I got so much I want to say tonight, but I'm out of time. Look, listen, it's, it's, I mean, humanly speaking, five loaves and two fishes is nothing. We've already established that, have we not? Can I tell you something? When God puts his hands on it, all the rules go out the window. When, when Jesus ever takes it and blesses it and puts his hands on what it is that you give him, all the human perspective, none of it, none of it will pan out because what God can do when he gets in on it, the Bible says he looked toward heaven and the Bible says he began to pray and he blessed it and he thanked God for it. Is that what your Bible says? Verse number 11, and Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, Jesus was thankful. Hey, Andrew's making fun of it, but Jesus was thankful for what that little boy gave him and he looked to heaven and when he put his hands on it, he changed everything. Changed everything. The high point of this story to me is not 5, 10, 15, 20,000 hungry people. That's not the big deal to me. The highlight of the story is not this little lad giving his loaves and fishes. The highlight of this story is not even the miraculous distribution to the thousands of hungry people. The miracle in this story that I find is the statement they were all filled in verse number 12. They were all filled. By the way, you will find that statement in all four gospels. They were all filled. They were all filled. They were all filled. They didn't just get a couple of crumbs. They didn't just get a little rind of the bread or the tail of the fish. The Bible says they ate till they were full. That's the miracle in this story. Hey, and I know, I know how we are. This is how we are, especially as Americans, greedy, narcissistic, uh, 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 just absolutely motivated by material wealth and substance. We think the miracle in the story is the 12 basketfuls that remain. And that's not the miracle. The miracle is that 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people got full off of five loaves and two fishes. What a blessing. But this story is not about giving money. This story is not about giving bread, giving fish. This story is about what happens when you give everything. Are y'all still with me? This little boy held back nothing. Now stay with me. He could have kept half of that. He could have kept one of those fish and two and a half loaves, gave the other two and a half loaves and the other fish, and nobody could have faulted him. Am I right? He could have kept half of it, gave what was left over, and he'd have gave more than everybody there put together. You know what's amazing to me? He gave all of it. He gave his whole lunch. Now here's where, here's the, here, I'm, I'm getting down to the end of the message. Here's the kicker. He gave having no idea what Jesus was gonna do with it. Now, if you're sitting here tonight and you think for one second that that little boy expected Jesus to take his five loaves and two fishes and feed all those people, you're crazy. There is no way in the world he thought that. There's no way in the world that that lad could have imagined what Jesus was gonna do. Stay with me. One thing is for certain. There was no way he was going to find out what Jesus could do till he gave it. Huh? You don't know. 
he had to have thought that maybe Jesus would take his five loaves and two fishes and put it with what everybody else was going to give and then just feed who they could and he was satisfied to go without. He was perfectly okay with the trade-off of getting nothing so one or two other little kids could get something. Are y'all following me? There's no way he knew what Jesus could do. But here's the moral of the story and here's the title of the message. You've got to wait till it's over to find out. You have got to wait till the story ends before you can ever find out what Jesus could do with what you give him. Because he will not tell you at the beginning. He will not tell you during the service that if you'll come to the altar and give your life to God, I'll do this, 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 and this, and you'll be here and here and here, and you'll experience this and this and this. He will not do that. He don't operate like that. You have got to wait till it's over to find out what he can do with what you give him. He never told that boy, i tell you what I'll do, buddy. You got a little sack lunch there? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you 12 to 1. Is that what Jesus did? No. He did not. Jesus didn't even ask him for it. Just chew on that for a couple days. One of the most miraculous donations, one of the most miraculous gifts in the Bible was given without even having to be asked for it. And he gave it to Jesus perfectly content to go home hungry so somebody else could have, never in his wildest dreams imagining that Jesus would look toward heaven, bless those five loaves and begin to break it and pass it to the disciples. And the Bible says they had them sit down in groups of 50s and 100 in the grass. And the Bible says they all ate and they were filled. And then they picked up all the fragments. And the Bible says they filled 12 basketfuls. There's no way he knew what Jesus could do till it was over. Can I tell you something tonight? The same thing applies to us. You're sitting there right now and God's dealing with somebody about giving him everything. And you, you know what you want? You want a contract in writing so that you will know beforehand that you're not going to get the short end of the stick. God says, I just, well, just give me your life. Just give me everything. Just give me everything. And we're sitting there going, yeah, but I'm afraid if I do... I'm going to go home hungry. I'm afraid if I do, my mama's going to get mad at me. I'm afraid if I do, I'm going to come up on the short end of the stick. If you could just give me some kind of affirmation that, that, that it's going to pay off, that, that it's the right thing. Can I tell you something? You won't know that it was the right thing to do till this thing's over with. 30 years ago, this coming Monday, July the 10th, I walked into my pastor's office with tears running down my face, I said, God's called me to preach. I turned my back on my college education, my college career, my plans to make a lot of money. I didn't know what in the world I was supposed to do. I didn't know where I was supposed to go. I just knew where I was not supposed to go, and I knew that God called me to preach. 30 years later, if you'd have told me then what God has allowed me to be able to be a part of, I don't know that I could have been any more excited about answering the call to preach 30 years ago not knowing than if I'd have known. But it still ain't over. It ain't going to be over till I stand before God at the judgment seat. That's when it's going to be over. And then I will be able to look 
and see what God did with what I gave him. And it wasn't who gave it, it ain't what I gave. It's the fact that I gave, and it's the fact that he blessed it, and he put his hands on it, and he got involved, and the powers of heaven begin to work with what I gave him, and we won't know till it's over what he can do. There's no way. We gotta wait till it's over to find out how God can use us. We've gotta wait till it's over to find out what God can do with us. We've gotta wait till it's over to find out how many people we can be a blessing to and how many lives we can touch. We gotta wait till it's over to find out how much glory we can bring to God and all the miracles that we can be a part of and how many people can get saved as a result of our life. We've gotta wait till it's over to find out. He never tells you up front. But I can tell you this, if he can do that for that little boy, whew, I believe I can trust him with, my, with mine, with my life. I have trusted him with my life. I've got zero regrets. Zero regrets. 30 years of preaching the gospel and I wouldn't trade places right now with the president of the United States, whoever that happens to be. I am absolutely thrilled beyond measure that 30 years ago, I gave him everything. I'm excited that when I was four years old in 1976, I knelt at the altar and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I didn't know what all it meant to be saved. I didn't understand all the terminology and all the theology. I had no idea what repentance was and substitutionary atonement was. I didn't know what the doctrine of adoption was. I didn't know what none of that meant. I didn't know about justification. I didn't know about forgiveness. I didn't know about sin nature. All I knew was I was lost and going to hell and the preacher told me I didn't have to because Jesus died on the cross to save my soul and if I put my faith in trust in him, he would save me and take me to heaven when I died and I am so glad that I accepted Christ as my savior and we won't know till it's over and find out just how wonderful being saved really is. We won't know till it's over. If you're here tonight with heads bowed and eyes closed, I could just go on all night. You're gonna have to wait till it's over to find out what God has in store for those that trust him with what they have, whether it's your finances, your dreams, your plans, your career, your talents, your abilities, whatever it is, you can trust God with it. You can trust God with it. You can trust him tonight by faith. Just trust God and give him everything. Just get in the offering plate. Don't put your wallet in there. Don't just crawl over in the offering plate in your own mind and in your own heart and say, God, I give you everything. You can have me. Take me, use me. You ain't got to tell me up front where I'm going to be five years from now, what I'm going to be doing 10 years from now. If the Lord tarries is coming, Lord, you just tell me, you just let me do whatever I can, give what I've got. I'm going to trust you. I promise you nobody was more shocked that day when those people got filled with those five loaves and two fishes than that little boy was that gave it. Won't know till it's over. We're going to have to wait till it's over to find out how many people get saved all around the world from our faith promise given. We've got to wait till it's over. There's no way in the world you can find that out right now. The impact of your testimony. Text messages coming into me today. Preacher, I'm mind of the Lord. Obey the Lord in this little small thing. And I know for a fact God used me to impact and influence somebody. What a blessing. What a blessing. You, but you, listen, we don't know. You can't know. He's not going to tell you. He's not going to tell you. 
We got to wait this over to find out. But I can promise you this, you won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed giving God everything. 